48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Cathay Pacific cuts more than 5,000 locally-based jobs and subsidiary Cathay Dragon ceases operations immediately, while flight attendance unions say the announcements came as a complete shock. Hong Kong's first local airline, Cathay Dragon, is no more. Its operations were halted today as part of a sweeping restructuring effort by the Cathay Pacific Group that will see more than 5,000 locally-based staff made redundant and other workers asked to accept new terms of service. As Priscilla Ng reports, the flag carrier says this revamp is the only way it can survive the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. 5,300 local jobs will be lost as part of the restructuring exercise. Another 600 staff based overseas may also be affected, and 2,600 other positions that were already vacant will be eliminated completely. Altogether, the 8,500 rules cut represents a quarter of the total across the group. Hong Kong-based staff who remain will be asked to accept changes to their terms and conditions to enhance competitiveness. In an internal video message to staff, Cathay CEO Augustus Tang said this was the best they could do. I hope you understand that there is no other way. As hard and as devastating as this decision is, it is the right one to take. It is absolutely necessary for the survival of the company. I want to assure each and every one of you that we have done everything we can to minimize job losses. And for those who will be leaving us, we have done everything we can to provide generous sufferance packages. Operations for subsidiary Cafe Dragon, previously known as Dragonair, have stopped completely. The chairman of the Cafe Pacific Group, Patrick Healy, says there is no chance that the brand would ever return, even if market conditions improve in the future. The airline will ask regulators to allow it to move the majority of Cathay Dragon's routes, most of which are to mainland or regional destinations, to Cathay Pacific or its recently acquired low-cost carrier, Hong Kong Express. The combination of those operational and marketing efficiencies are quite substantial. And it's very important for us to realize uh, those savings and those efficiencies as, as we create a more focused, more efficient and more competitive uh, airline group. So it's safe to say that we, we won't sadly be seeing the return of the, of, of the Cathay Dragon brand. Cathay says it had been burning through as much as $2 billion a month as air traffic came to a virtual standstill for months amid the pandemic. The losses are expected to be reduced to $500 million a month following the cuts. In an announcement to the stock exchange, Cathay said the restructuring would cost $2.2 billion. Mr. Healy says Cathay's management is confident that the revamp will help it survive the pandemic crisis and the company won't seek further outside funding after its government-led bailout in June. The balance sheet at the moment uh, is strong. Our liquidity is solid. Our gearing is low. As a result of the recapitalization that we announced on the 9th of June and completed uh, over the summer, uh, the cash burn at current levels is unsustainable, but a combination of the three initiatives that we have announced today will bring uh, those cash losses down to more sustainable levels. Cathay says it expects to operate flights in the first quarter of next year at only a quarter of the level it did in 2019, with about 50% capacity for the whole of 2021. Cathay Pacific's Flight Attendance Union says about 2,000 cabin crew are losing their jobs. Amber Soon is its vice chairwoman. We're hugely disappointed. We're completely disappointed with this decision. We suggested we put forward some of the uh, numbers of uh, measures 
but then um, none of the suggestions were take uh, were, were implemented about whether there will be future redund uh, redundancy made. We show that people are worried about it. The union said Cathay would give employees who are losing their jobs an extra month's salary and compensate them for unpaid leave they've already been forced to take. The Dragon Airlines Flight Attendants Association says the announcement of Cathay Dragon's closure came completely out of the blue. Its vice chairwoman, Connie Leung, accused Cathay of not doing enough to save the airline. She says she's worked at the airline, once known as Dragon Air, for two decades, and its demise comes as a shock. Oh, of course, this is very disappointed about this decision. And actually, this is a very tough day in our 35 years' history for all of us. Then we show the disappointment and dismay. We are received the news all in a sudden. Ms Leung says the union will discuss its next step with its members. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Lawmakers from across the political spectrum have expressed concern over the mass redundancies planned by Cathay Pacific, saying the government must not shirk its responsibility to minimise the impact of the job cuts. Here again is Priscilla Ng. Civic Party legislator Jeremy Tam, who's also a former Cathay Pacific pilot, said the administration, having injected almost $30 billion into the embattled airliner earlier this year, should ask the company to do whatever it can to retain staff. Since the government have a major role in this airline, they can simply say, okay, I extend off the no-pay leave, indefinite, even indefinite. So when the aviation industry picks up again, then all those people, they just you know, go back to their position rather than they need to look for a new job. Of course, I mean, during the meanwhile, they will look for a new job. Of course, that's for sure. Federation of Trade Unions lawmaker Ellis Mack, meanwhile, said it is time for the government to roll out unemployment subsidies to help those affected make ends meet. She said it is inevitable that the layoffs will increase the city's unemployment rate, which is already at a 16-year high of 6.4%. We have estimated that it will push up the uh, unemployment rate to 0.2%. Uh, so the government cannot just uh, neglect uh, the impact of this layoff plan. The government should consider how to uh, implement um, effective and timely measures to help those unemployed. Uh, in, uh, especially, we urge the government to launch a unemployment subsidy scheme uh, to help those unemployed. Chairwoman of the pro-government DAB party, Starry Lee, also waded in, saying the job cuts at Cathay could create a domino effect. I'm very much afraid that Cafe Pacific do start the first kick and it will follow suit by other large-scale companies. We all understand and we all remember that the government have uh, injected a significant amount of money into Cafe Pacific in order to save our airline from bankrupt or collapse. And as the government become a major stakeholder, I would like to urge the government to liaise with uh, the management of Cafe Pacific to see if we, they can reduce the number of layoff plans and also do every possible means to help uh, those affected people. Travel sector lawmaker UC Wing, for his part, said it is understandable for Cathay to implement drastic cuts to reduce costs. He said Cathay's plight is just an example of how badly the travel industry is faring, adding that the government needs to provide more help to other major players in the sector, such as travel agencies, to help them ride out the storm. Financial Secretary Paul Chan says the government had asked Cathay Pacific to make sure it was in a good position to get going again once the pandemic comes to an end. He says the administration also urged the airline to keep the impact of its mass layoffs to a minimum. Wendy Wong has details. 
In a statement, the financial secretary notes that Cathay is facing unprecedented operational and financial pressure despite the government's investment of $27 billion in June. He says it's a life-or-death issue and if it isn't properly addressed, the situation could harm the territory's status as an international aviation hub, development in the region and the overall interests of Hong Kong. Mr Chan says despite support from governments around the world, many major international airlines have resorted to downsizing or restructuring to lower costs due to the pandemic. He asked that two observers appointed by him to Cathay's board had reminded the firm's management of the need to keep the impact of the restructuring on employees and society to a minimum. He says transport officials had also urged the airline to make sure it is well equipped to start off again after the pandemic subsides. To other news, the government has expressed strong opposition to the German Consul General after the country granted refugee status to a Hong Kong activist facing a riot charge over last year's protests. Chief Secretary Matthew Cheung and Security Minister John Lee met Dieter Lumley in the afternoon and the officials urged foreign governments to stop interfering in Hong Kong affairs at the meeting. Mr Cheung says the harbouring of criminals under different pretexts would only send a wrong message that they need not face any criminal liability. The official also stressed that people charged will face an open and fair trial in Hong Kong and there is no question of political persecution. Separately, Security Minister John Lee has accused Democrat Roy Kwong of encouraging crime suspects to flee Hong Kong, prompting jeers in Lechko from the pro-democracy camp. Damon Pang has that story. In a heated exchange at Lechko, the Democratic Party lawmaker had asked Mr Lee if anyone in the government was aware that 12 young Hong Kongers were allegedly planning to go to Taiwan by boat before they were picked up by the Guangdong Coast Guard and detained on the mainland in August. Mr Kwong also asked the security chief if SAR authorities had planned for the mainland to capture the 12. Speaking through an interpreter, Mr Lee hit back. President, I strongly object to Mr Kwong's condonment of absconding. The 12 absconded suspects completed offences. They clearly absconded and jumped bail. The lawmaker then accused the security secretary of violating logical rules by supposing there were improper motives behind his questions. But Mr. Lee denied this, telling Mr. Kwong, You know yourself, I don't have to guess. I absolutely did not. The minister also claimed that some people are using the detention of the 12 in Shenzhen to attack the government and smear the police, although he didn't name any names. Mr. Lee said government officials would never agree to calls for them to ask the mainland to allow the immediate return of the 12 to Hong Kong. He said this would encourage an unhealthy trend and allow crime suspects on the mainland to skip legal proceedings. After the Lechkol meeting, Mr Lee was drowned out by Pandem's chanting slogans demanding the release of the 12. As he tried to speak to the media, the lawmakers followed him as he left the council building. The security chief condemned the opposition for putting on show and accused them of obstructing him from his work. Pro-Beijing lawmaker and lawyer Junius Ho is facing a hearing by the Solicitor's Disciplinary Tribunal in London over remarks he made in 2017 about killing Hong Kong independence advocates without mercy. The UK's Solicitor's Regulation Authority has laid out the reasons why Mr Ho is facing allegations over his remarks at a rally and on his Facebook page in September that year. The watchdog says such remarks could be perceived as inciting violence against opponents and could cause offence. The tribunal will decide whether to remove Mr Ho from the UK register after the hearing. 
The Secretary for Justice, Theresa Cheng, has spoken out against attacks on members of the judiciary. Her comments came after offensive graffiti targeting a former magistrate accused of bias towards protesters was spray-painted onto walls in Kowloon Tong. Maggie Ho reports. Theresa Cheng described personal attacks on members of the judiciary serious and unacceptable. She pointed out that if there are any issues with the ruling, her department is able to lodge an appeal and said people should look at court judgments objectively. The incident in Kowloon Tong targeted former Eastern Court Magistrate Stanley Ho. The graffiti, calling him a dog judge, was spray-painted onto walls outside homes on Marconi Road. No one has been arrested, and police are calling it a case of criminal damage. Mr Ho had faced strong criticism from Beijing loyalist politicians and publications. After he cleared defendants of protest-related offences and made scathing criticism of evidence submitted by police officers, the judiciary cleared the magistrate earlier this month, concluding that complaints against him over his handling of six cases were not substantiated. Two other complaints are still pending legal proceedings. Mr. Ho was appointed a temporary deputy registrar of the High Court at the end of July and took over the job last month. The judiciary says the transfer had nothing to do with his rulings. The New York Times says it's emerged that President Trump has a bank account in China with a company that paid almost 200,000 US dollars in taxes on the mainland. A lawyer for Mr. Trump said the report made incorrect assumptions. Here's the BBC's David Willis. President Trump has been a bitter critic of China and has repeatedly accused his presidential rival Joe Biden of being soft on Beijing. But according to the New York Times, the president's tax records, which they claim to have obtained access to, show that over the years he's invested in five small companies created specifically to pursue projects, among them hotel licensing deals, in China. And finally, some local sports news. Hong Kong's top football referee says his fellow whistleblowers, pardon pun, are being given stress management courses to help them cope with intense scrutiny of their decisions, often accompanied by verbal abuse. Charles Cheung, who is head of refereeing for the FA, says refs do the job part-time and often arrive at matches after a long day at work. He says the pressure is driving some to hang up their whistles. We already organised or hold some uh, seminar to teach them how to become tougher, how to deal with the stress, how to deal with the situation on the field, to try to release the stress when they officiating the game. But somehow, of course, one of the factors which caused the referee quitting from the refereeing is still the stress. A reminder of our top stories tonight, Cathay Pacific cuts more than 5,000 locally-based jobs and subsidiary Cathay Dragons ceases operations immediately, while flight attendance unions say the announcements came as a complete shock. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's NewsWrap programme. Operations at local airline Cathay Dragon have been halted as part of a wider restructuring effort by its parent company aimed at keeping the group afloat during the COVID-19 crisis. The chairman of the Cathay Pacific Group, Patrick Healy, says there's no chance the Cathay Dragon brand will return, even if conditions improve in the future. It marks the end of the airline, founded in 1985 as Dragonair by local tycoons and a number of Chinese-funded companies to compete with Cathay Pacific. 
Connie Lerne, vice chairwoman of Dragon Airlines Flight Attendants Association, told Anna Marie Evans the news came as a complete shock. Of course, very disappointed about this decision. And actually, this is a very tough day in our 35 years history for all of us. Now, you've said uh, that you feel that Cathay didn't do its best to save Cathay Dragon. In what way? Because actually, before I think they will try their best to keep everybody but the result is not our expected. Of course, we are so disagree the CX Group's decision in this situation. But how can they keep everybody on? There's barely any flights going out. Actually, the situation, everybody knows it's not very ideal, but we are value in KA culture. Actually, we are very united, as well as really realize all the passengers, especially in Asia, China. And then, so, we never think of we have that kind of result. So, do you think that it would have been better off for the Cathay Group to keep Cathay Dragon continuing to operate? Of course, for us, we think KA is our family, so everybody wants to keep because we learn a lot of money. So, we, of course, we want to keep everybody in the same family in KA. Hong Kongers have taken to social media to express their sadness over the demise of Cathay Dragon. Sharing fond memories of the airline, many continued to call Dragon Air. Wendy Wong with that story. On Dragon Air, every year is the year of the dragon. Dragon Air was co-founded in 1985 by textile businessman Chao Chongpiu, shipping magnate Sir Yu Kong Pao, real estate tycoon Henry Fogg and a number of Chinese-funded companies to compete with Cafe. Many people dismissed the airline at first as it operated only one flight when it started, with a Boeing 737-200 flying to Kota Kinabalu in Malaysia. But the carrier's business expanded over the years and it became many people's go-to airline, especially for travel to various mainland cities. In 1998, a flight operated by Dragonair was the last one to land at the old Kai Tak airport before it was closed. I liked Dragonair a lot and thought its service was better than that of Cathay Pacific. A good brand has been completely destroyed, one person wrote on social media. Cathay, City Pacific and Swire Group became the major shareholders of Dragonair in 1990 before eventually taking it over in 2006. The carrier's iconic Red Dragon logo remained unchanged before it was replaced by Cathay Pacific's brushwing design with a red colouring when it was rebranded in 2016. Some people posted photos of Dragonair's old aircraft. Its old logo is better. At first glance, one knows it's Dragonair, one wrote. Another said she was supposed to be taking a Cathay Dragon flight for a holiday this month, but the trip had been cancelled due to the pandemic. I can't even take a final flight, she said. Some wedding companies say the government's move to allow 50 people to attend weddings instead of 20 from Friday will do little to help them survive, as food and drink will still be banned. Violet Wong talked to Philly Studios director Sandy Young about the new rules. It's not much how indeed, because most of the new wife has already planned to modify the wedding run down to a half day, and they are not going to hold the banquet already. And and some of them have has already changed to the next year or postpone their wedding or plan to cancel their wedding. So I think the number is not much how for now. 
So you don't think this relaxation is very helpful to the wedding sector, maybe? Um, but of course, for those who are going to have a wedding ceremony, it will be much help because they can invite more guests, more of their friends to the wedding. During the time when they have 20 guests, they can only invite their parents and, of course, the, the crew members that already count as 20. So when the number increased to 50, they can invite more and more of their friends. Do you think it's reasonable to ban food and drinks at wedding ceremonies? It's not reasonable. Just for people attending weddings, they cannot eat or drink. But if you go to a restaurant or go to others, uh, or go to a pub or a club, nightclub, you can still eat or drink with still a limited number of guests inside the venue. So it would be great if the regulation can be loosened. But of course, maybe the number they have to regulate it to four people or six people or eight people per table. But it would be much help if the guests are allowed to drink or eat in the venue. I think some, uh, most of the newlyweds would like to have the wedding party held back during this year because some of them have already canceled, but maybe they will have it back. If they can eat and drink during the ceremony. Yes, yeah, they can have a wedding banquet at least. I think they can relax more because during this year we have all get used to living with the COVID-19. So I think most people will, will know how to keep the social distance, the, the newlyweds or the friends will remind them all the guests have to uh, keep their mask on if they're not eating or uh, keep reminding the sanitize their hands. So I think it's the time for the government to loosen the regulations on the wedding. From tomorrow, the Republic of Ireland will re-enter a national lockdown in order to tackle the spread of coronavirus, the first EU country to do so. The measures imposed are among the severest restrictions in Europe. Non-essential shops will remain closed and people are asked to stay at home, with a five-kilometre travel limit for exercise to curb surging infection rates. The BBC's Lawrence Pollard spoke to Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, news editor of the Irish Examiner. I think most people have been kind of waiting for this to happen. We knew that there was going to be a second round and the Irish health system is not sufficient to cope with a huge number of people needing ICU care. So really for the last few weeks what we've seen is a public mood um, for in favour of lockdown really. Um, it's been quite interesting. The politicians have actually been behind the public on this one. Um, overwhelmingly surveys have shown that people were actually saying you know get on with it, do the lockdown, this is what we require. Um, even though obviously you know the death rates are actually decreasing from the virus. You know, the infection rates and the death rates do not match up to what they matched up to in um, earlier in the year. So people at this stage are kind of just grimly resigned to this. Um, there's a feeling of, you know, if we can save Christmas. So we're entering the six week period of quite a strict lockdown. There are some amendments to what we had earlier in the year. So we have things like people being allowed to bubble with another household if they're living alone or if they're a single parent. Um, you know, there, there are uh, kids are allowed to train in pods of 15 for, for sports. Mm. Obviously, the crucial thing here for most people is the schools will remain open. Now, that is the subject of some controversy. The teachers' unions are expected um, to have some problems with that because a lot of the measures they were promised in, in terms of security and mitigation kind of just haven't really materialised. Oh. So it'll be interesting to see if the schools do, in fact, remain open. But that is part of the plan. That's going to be tough to manage, isn't it? Particularly because in the north, uh, in Northern Ireland, the schools are closed for a kind of a circuit mm -hmm. breaker. But just the schools... Very interesting what you say that the people are ahead of the politicians. Uh, does this mean that, in a sense, the people are following the science? 
It, it it does seem to mean that, um, and obviously, as in other locations, you know, the science is is kind of varies wildly depending on who you <laughs> listen to, and, and depending even within the WHO, I guess there there is some dissent. Um, but, but yeah, what we're finding is that two weeks ago, NEFET, our national public health emergency team, which is headed up by Dr. Tony Holohan, um, they they convened, and um, in a period of two days, they went from recommending level two in some places, level three and others, to level five across the whole country. They were so alarmed at the increase in cases. Wow. And at that stage, that's a couple of weeks ago, the government kind of poo-pooed them and said, look, that's not really, you know, that's not needed. We don't need it. But actually, at that point, the public are so used to listening to the experts now. The public said, well, why aren't you listening to them? Um, so what we found is two weeks later, the government say, OK, right now it's time for level five. Now, perhaps there were things that needed to happen. We had a budget um, in that intervening period. There were some preparations that needed to be made for businesses and things like that. But uh, the public at that point were, were ready to go along with NEFET and it took the government another couple of weeks. And is the idea to save Christmas? Can Christmas be saved in Ireland? That is the idea, yeah. And it, it was really heartbreaking earlier this week seeing um, retailers um, here in Cork, where, where I'm speaking to you from, who were just getting ready for the last two days of trading, be uh, submerged in floodwater. Um, oh. So really, they, they lost those last two days of, of that kind of pre-Christmas rush. But having spoken to people on Monday and over the weekend, people were actually getting their Christmas shopping done. Um, I spoke to somebody in a gift shop the other day and she said, actually, we've had huge sales because people are afraid that this lockdown is going to last right up to Christmas. My and goodness. To the US Justice Department is suing Google, accusing it of an illegal monopoly over online searches and advertising. The antitrust lawsuit claims the tech company is the gatekeeper to the internet. Google has always denied abusing its market dominance and has said it may file pretrial motions to challenge some of the theories being put forward, calling the case deeply flawed. The BBC's Rory Keflin-Jones has more. Google is accused of using the extraordinary power it's built up over the years to suppress competition, to shut out its rivals, to make sure that nobody else becomes big in search engines or big in online advertising, and thereby doing damage both to consumers and to businesses. There's a long path to go down before that happens. I've been looking back at what happened, for instance, with a Microsoft case in the 1990s. That lasted eight years. At one stage, the US government was going to break up Microsoft and it ended up not doing so. But what it would mean is some kind of remedies being forced on Google, either to stop certain practices or, yes, to split some businesses off and uh, make them independent. But Google will fight tooth and nail to stop that happening. What's interesting about what we've seen today is that it's action in the United States. The, the main action so far has come from the European Union, where the competition commissioner, Margarita Vestea, has taken action against Google, against Apple. There have been huge fines. There have been just this kind of charges of anti-competitive behaviour there and remedies sought. And there's also been a lot of action in Europe about the data practices of these giant companies, trying to make them clean up their act in terms of how they look after people's privacy and so on. What is significant today is that the US uh, appears to be changing tack after 30 years of policy on competition, which said that the only thing that mattered was the price consumers paid for anything, that they shouldn't be charged a higher price as a result of a lack of competition. Now, of course, consumers don't pay anything for Google. It's free. So there's a different definition of harm in this, uh, a lack of innovation. And that really sort of 
sets the whole affair on a different path and may open the door to more such actions in the US against other tech giants. A small town in the French-speaking Canadian province of Quebec has decided to change its name from Asbestos. Residents voted for the rather more scenically appealing Val de Sauce. Asbestos was the once hugely sought-after and very widely used fire retardant, which was discovered to be potentially lethal to those who inhaled its dust. The town was inevitably named after its enormous mine, which is now closed. Caroline Payer is a town councillor. We do believe it's the next logical step for our town uh, to improve both its economical development and attract more people, uh, new citizens. We believe it's the very best thing that we can do. We know uh, that we lost some uh, business opportunities, um, industries that were looking for a place to establish their, uh, their uh, business, and um, they liked the support that we could offer. They liked the place. They, they, we were very competitive, but because of the name, they, they just couldn't because uh, when, when they want to export their products, even though the product has no uh, link whatsoever with asbestos, because the name is written somewhere, that scares people. I'd like to say that we are still very proud of our history, and the point is not to uh, hide our history. Of course, there will always be this big hole uh, in the middle of our town. Uh, now it is filling up with uh, some beautiful blue-greenish water, something that would uh, resemble uh, Lac Louise uh, in British Columbia. So it's very nice looking. But of course, uh, uh, we are still very proud of our past. But to, to be able to move forward and um, make sure that we have all the tools uh, that we, we need in our uh, toolkit to, you know, in this uh, competitive context that we are living in. Uh, we, we believe that losing one business because of our name, it's one too many. When the mine closed, uh, we like the, the extraction stopped and um, the, the form that, uh, that we were extracting here, you really had to, uh, to, to go uh, in, into the rocks to uh, ex extract it, so there it's not in the air, you know. So so there's no no danger so uh, whatsoever living uh, in this town. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. How can you be sure you're not buying fakes? Easy, just purchase at shops with a no fake sign. The Intellectual Property Department is running the No Fakes Pledge Scheme. All participating shops have promised to sell genuine goods. The No Fakes sign will be updated every year to show the year of validity. You can download the No Fakes Pledge mobile app to find the shops that carry the logo. And you can find online shops too. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 Absolutely true. Absolutely right. Nostalgia. Music nostalgia starts now until 1 a.m. With Yosuli Ray Cudero. All the way.
that was from Student Prince, played by, of course, Mantovani. Trouble 